0: wonderful well, all right totally, yeah that's exactly what you want when you first turn on after two months just just short circuiting you as fast as possible yeah
1: no it's perfect yeah yeah
0: <laughs> is that, is that how long it's been yes it has um let's see when our last episode was uh i know we like spoke a good game about doing like a world cup episode and all that but that didn't happen uh we can kind of summarize that here november 14th so six weeks ish
1: wow wow well, we've got a whole six week summer
0: holiday yeah, in we winter. did in the <laughs> winter. Um, and it's been absolutely freezing here. So great. Um, so welcome back. Uh, let's let's talk World Cup to start with. Um, how are we feeling? Are we happy? Did we enjoy the Winter World Cup? Would we ever want to see another one? Did we enjoy Qatar as the location of choice? Did we enjoy what? What are our thoughts? What are our thoughts, feelings, England, USA, the eventual winners, the mega, messy legacy, what, what are we thinking? All of, all and sundry. And then obviously including Brighton thoughts and feelings.
2: Oh, I mean, it was compelling, right? Uh, I Straight off the bat, don't like Qatar, don't like the idea of a Winter World <laughs> Cup, so we can get that out of the way. Um, but in terms of the football itself, I thought it was very good. A um, few upsets here and there. Um, it was nice to watch three games of football a day as well. That, that is always nice to do. Um, thoughts on England, went out I think with with a bit of a fizzle rather than a bang. I you know I think it was on par with expectations. Um, and I think USA obviously didn't do as well as they thought they would, but I think it's very on par with the expectations from the rest of the world. Um, from a Brighton perspective, Adam, I don't know if you want to take the Brighton bits or get your thoughts before we move to Brighton.
1: Yeah, I mean I I pretty much agree with you. I, there's um the biggest surprise for me though was I I've not I've made my uh, Feelings on Gareth Southgate, fairly well known on this podcast, uh, but I actually didn't really have complaints about Southgate. I thought I thought he did a pretty good job. Uh, he um, we, we came out and we actually played attacking football um, and he wasn't just cowarding like we did in the Euros had a bit of disappointment with a lot of first half, like slow starts. And then suddenly something happened. He made some changes. Like he brought in players that everyone was saying, bring them in and they performed. And then he stuck with them and he, and he actually modified things. Uh, and, and look, you can't really be that mad about going out of France. Uh, despite the fact that they were, what happened in the final to them, they felt very much like that team where it's just like, well, they don't play very well and then they win. And that just comes down to the fact they have a better team than everyone else. Um, can you moan about Harry Kane and penalties? And all? Ugh, you just can't. Like, the biggest beef I have with that is you can't let a player that plays club football with the goalkeeper take a second penalty in a game. Like psychologically, that's just so weird to me. Um, but I'm not. It, it was yeah. It was it was it was good from an England standpoint. We went out to a better team, um, and that that's going to happen. And then the final. I mean. What more do you want from from a from a final when it comes down to like uh the at least the end of the second half and, and it, I've never seen better extra time, I don't think, in in a in especially a game of the, of those stakes. Uh and no England fans got arrest for drunken disorderly conduct, which is weird. It turns out when you are in a nation where you might actually be imprisoned for life for, for doing that, it doesn't happen. So, you know, pros pros and cons to a totalitarian dictatorship.
0: Yeah, I think it was the best extra time I'd seen until just a few days later uh, where we played 90 minutes of what felt like extra time uh, where we just kicked the ball (laughs) around and did nothing against Charlton Athletic. Um, Felt like peak running down the clock for 90 instead of 30 minutes. Um, But no, I I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, It's a shame. I I don't want another winter World Cup. Definitely not. I didn't enjoy the winter side of it. I like it being in the summer. Um, But the the games on display were unbelievable. Like there really wasn't a single day go by where there wasn't an absolute banger on display. Even if it was just like two random teams that weren't even going to go through, it was just brilliant.
1: Those, those games at the end of, I can't remember what group it was, the group Spain and Germany, when it was the two teams going through changed about five times in the space of 20 minutes, that was peak, peak world cup football
0: costa rica and japan wasn't it it's like yeah, the, uh, amazing it was it's like last day of the season with the championship where there's like 18 teams go down and in the playoffs in a single game <laughs> it's it yeah. was like that but on steroids because it was like world nations and it helped that mitoma was part of it obviously we we're all paying attention a little bit more as brighton fans there for, for mitoma's part to play in that and he played a hell of a part for japan in the world cup uh seems that a lot of the Japanese nationals online from what I could gather from their translations uh were not happy that he wasn't playing as much um I think that they're obviously happy with the performance overall but I think there's a lot of uh, Japanese fans that really wish they could have seen a bit more of it's
1: did they did bring start playing him a little bit more didn't they like he, he came on a lot earlier and he was pretty much one of the first subs they made um but they were a weird team all in all but uh We've got Brighton have a World Cup winner. I know this has been talked about a lot, but I mean, the fact that it's also not just like a consolation. He came off the bench for 25 minutes, World Cup winner. He became pretty much a foundation of of that side in terms of how they played. And that's uh, nutty to think about, really.
2: It is mental, isn't it? Again, like I know, I know it's been talked after death on on Twitter and all the other socials and stuff like that. But you know, you you have someone that wasn't played in the first game when they lost, and then starts starting, and then becomes one of effectively one of the first names on the team sheet just because of what he does. And um, we know that he had it in him, um, but the fact that he's been able to showcase that um, and, and prove himself even more so—not to us, but for the rest of the world—it's—it's. It's, insane and and good for him like just for for showing up and, and making that slot his um and and for us we we get the privilege of saying that we've got a world cup winner like just playing for us in our 11 like it's no big deal so again i know all of those how far we've come things get a little bit old given how far we're progressing and how quickly we progress as a club but it's just another milestone in just how how far we have come um without without saying it too loud
1: I, I want to continue to eat crow uh, when it comes to Alexis McAllister as well, because I, I spent a long time saying, I don't know if he's the guy. I don't, right well, up until pretty much we kicked on a little bit at the start of this season. I think we, a lot of last season, was like, what is McAllister? He shows really good stuff. Like we played him further forward. We dropped him back and it really wasn't until like quite recently where we started to get the best out of him. And, and, I think you can frankly say that was pretty much around, what, September of this year. And what is it? Uh, three months we've started to see this player like blossom into something more. And then he's been, you know, a, a key component in a, in a World Cup winning side. And it's, um, yeah, uh, I didn't I did not predict that in my wildest dreams when he was playing, you know, some games further up the pitch and was anonymous as a sort of a number 10 in the middle of last year. Uh, so good for him.
0: Yeah. And the rumors are that he wants to come back and play a 10 is what the the, the sheets are saying, isn't it? Mm. Which is bizarre because he didn't play that for Argentina. He played the role that Deserby put him in at the beginning of the season. He dropped him back and obviously we've, we've seen how he's developed and he played that role alongside DePaul because there was a certain other number 10 that was taking up that role for Argentina <laughs> that he was never going to beat out. And that's weird to me. I, I'm not sure if there was a loss in translation situation there. It's not the first time that Alexis has been lost in translation this World Cup period. Uh, anyone who saw that Instagram post will know all about that. Um, but yeah, I feel like there may be a loss in translation there because why would he want to play further forward when he just won a World Cup medal playing where it he put him? I, it's a weird one. I feel like there must just be a mistake in the report in there. Um, but they've all come back. Uh, they all look fired up for the most part. Um, you know, Mitoima doesn't seem to have lost a beat whatsoever. Uh, the Ecuadorians are linking up superbly still uh, against Southampton. Um, and Trossard had one of his quiet games. Um, but that's not to say he's not our best goal scorer still on the pitch at any given time. So uh, Alexis is on holiday. Uh, I think he's off for another week and a half, two weeks. It will probably be uh, just after the FA Cup or maybe you'll get a cameo in the FA, FA Cup. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, getting... Uh, Getting getting back to it, uh, we started off with Charlton, a bit of a reserve game, a bit of a rotation game. Definitely don't want to spend too much time on that. Uh, but the Albion have forever been plagued uh, for the last what feels like my entire life, where we've not been great at scoring penalties since Leon Knight left. Basically, um, yeah. what are we uh, what do we think of that? Were we were we upset? Were we happy to get out of the cup? Did you not want any more games rolling on, uh, or were you upset? Did you see it as a run for Europe? Um, I tweeted about it. I said I was a bit gutted from the account uh, that I was hoping that we could make a proper run to win this one. Um, and then straight after the draw, I was slightly less miffed. Um, so <laughs> I'd be interested to see your dude's thoughts on on what you are hoping from that that Coconut Cup experience with Chalt. Uh
1: So I was working when this game was on and I was keeping track of it. And I managed to, at one point, turn the game back on to see us concede the final penalty. And I was quite confused as to what happened. then I looked back on everything and decided to myself, I should probably watch back the game. Uh, And I could not bring myself to do it Uh, because who who in their right mind could possibly be like, you know what, I'm gonna do a deep dive looking back on what I know is going to be an appalling visual experience. Um, so my insights and takes from this game are, are going to be absolutely diabolically poor. But what I can say is I think I do think it's a shame. Uh, I do think it's a shame. Like, with the, a few big sides had gone out of that last round. Um, and this felt like one of those games where you get through and you can start to at least have just something else going on. Um, and the fact that we've sort of gone out in fairly, I think you can say, embarrassing fashion Um, was bad and I think yeah and and as Mikey has has popped up in the chat as well the biggest takeaway that I have from outside of obviously us you know screwing over penalties was it seemed like a horrible fan experience right through from just getting tickets and then at the stadium there were people that couldn't get in because they couldn't pick them up it's just a hot I think one of those ones that everyone hopefully just blanks from their memory. Yeah Uh, and yeah I I think I was similar to
2: you I I missed it in in real time and (laughs) it didn't really bother watching it back even on double speed so um it it just seems like one of those and i I think i I share the sentiment that that is a game we should be winning anyway even if we do sort of you know swap the team about and and sort of plug a few players in that that haven't been playing recently that is still something that we should be winning um so it's Disappointing, yeah, and I, I to to Josh's point as well, to see you get pulled, you know, Man United away as well, you know, that that sort of eases <laughs> eases the displeasure a little bit, and Casado is a tough one, especially not only for fans to go all the way up to Manchester, but also from a from an actual football perspective, given how well they started. um So yeah, uh, disappointing, and um, not the end of the world. I think the. And my takeaway is that it's nice to be thinking that we can have a cup run without the impending doom of relegation. So, uh, so that's, that's sort of where my head is at as
1: well. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, you witnessed that disaster class Uh, because it's also, it was was classic Brighton in some ways, in the sense that have this incredible high of, uh, you know, a world cup winner, you come back and, and you've, Outside of him and a couple of injuries, you've got a fairly decent squad out there. Yep. Uh, and it just falls flat on its face.
0: Yeah. Um, I did suffer through it. Uh, I was at least paid for the privilege um, because I wasn't technically <laughs> working at the time. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I can give you some takeaways that I had from it. Colwell looked excellent. Um, and we will get onto that, I am sure, in more detail as he got the start against Southampton uh, and continued to really impress me. Um, Mitoma, uh, when he came on, looked good. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, for the most part, most of those returning players hadn't missed a beat. They looked comfortable. Um, the outside players did not, and Ciso looked very poor. Uh, and the, the standout shocker was, unsurprisingly, Mister Undav. Um, who I just cannot imagine is going to still be a Brighton player uh, by August of 2023. Um, he just looks crap. Um, the The legacy of final transfers from Graham Potter's era being Dennis Undav and Billy Gilmore um, really is not a great way to go out, is it, when uh, when that recruitment team in general, uh, along with Potter, have brought in some fabulous players. Uh, it's quite a quite a brutal finish to have Undav and Gilmore as your final two uh, when Gilmore uh, could not, you know, make it, even make the 11 uh, against Southampton um, when you would think that a more dynamic midfielder in that middle role where Alexis is not currently available would be preferred uh, as opposed to Pascal Gross, um, a player who I forgot was playing most of the time against Southampton uh, and we still put three passes, which speaks to how good we are, um, but he was, you know, it's not a role that he's, he's super good at so it was not a great game um Paul Solly March continued to be unable to score a goal um he skied it about it was like field goal level quality uh excellent excellent stuff it was probably good from about 60 yards uh with an NFL football um but not good for, for for a regular uh goal for the footballers so yeah not great um and I'm just really glad that we're able to move on so quickly uh, with Southampton.
1: Yeah. And uh, a bit of a, I'm going think, if you wanted to uh, finally to have a game that comes around that rids solely of various demons that he's been collecting, uh, quite an abundance of them. Uh, it was this game against Southampton, but also, I've got horrible memories just in general of, 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 of games at St. Mary's and, and at Southampton. And this was fairly comfortable. Stats-wise, it was a bit deceiving because it looks like Southampton had a decent game. But if you watched it in real time, for the most part, just it was a smash and grab a little bit. Anytime we got near the goal, it felt like we were fairly dangerous. And even though a couple of them were a little bit caricature-style finishes... Can't argue about the third one, so that's it. It's so 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 bright and to go and lose at Charlton and then come out and just smash an away game at Southampton, uh, that you wouldn't have expected to have otherwise happened.
2: Yeah, Uh, again, a share. share the note that it was so it was nice for us to get back on the on the horse so quickly and and try and correct that i know the Zerbi came out straight after the chart on game and said he expects a reaction and i think that's exactly what we got um it just yeah moving on to southampton I think we'll obviously talk about what happened but when you've got alexis mcallister out i think it was pascal gross in the middle with with lallana and casado and um, mm-hmm. which I thought, hey, to Josh's point just before this, I think Pascal Gross was quiet but did all the did all the the dirty work and all the passes. I think he was silently had a good game.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Like passing wise, stats wise, he looked very good. He didn't didn't show off on the pitch, but he's what hundred and one passes, ninety two percent pass accuracy, bunch of crosses, bunch of long balls. Fairly impressive from a numbers standpoint. Mm. Yeah, I, I think just, just
2: the way we sort of matched up and it was said on the commentary over here for, for those that watched it over this side, it's just around the 4 2 3, one and what we're trying to do. I think that wasn't any surprise. Um, it was nice to see Veltman back and obviously Josh said Colwell got the start and with, with Webster not being available who I, again, thought was was excellent. And so for, for me, from a, a lineups perspective, I thought it was about as good as you can ask for with, with who's currently available. But uh, I don't know what you guys thought about the lineup again, like post-Charlton.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I thought it was about what I expected. Uh, I did think... I did wonder if Billy Gilmore was going to get the start over Pascal Gross. Um, but, obviously, the trust he has in, in Pascal Gross and Solly March, the two especially, is just beyond the pale. Uh, he spoke about them a lot. Uh, before he even got the job, uh, he was, like, waxing lyrical about Solly March. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it it was nice to see that not only Solly exercised some demons because in traditional fashion, Lalana, who has not been able to hit a barn door for two and a half yes. years at the Albion, goes ahead and scores at St. Mary's at the club that kind of raised him from a child. <laughs> um, so it was really, uh, it was really interesting that he decided to finally uh, break his streak against Southampton of all teams. Um, but I think you're right, Adam, like I can't remember... I can remember one one good moment ever at St. Mary's, and that was Gus's first game uh, where we absolutely battered them. Um, totally unexpected, I think it was. No one saw that coming. Um, and I think before and after that, it's always just been crap. We just never had a good game uh, against Southampton at St. Mary's. So, you know, to come out of there with the, the performance we did, I mean... The, the XG is the perfect thing. Like you said, it doesn't tell the whole story at all. I mean, it was like 1.3 non-pen to Southampton to our like 0.6. But I think you're starting to see a lot of people are saying that they still aren't able to see the deserve your identity. And I think for some of the things that you're looking at here, like just a possession stat alone, like outright, like 70% possession at half time we had. And we were like two goals up at that point. Uh, that doesn't that didn't happen under Potter. Um, it doesn't happen for most teams, but it happens for the Zerbies teams. They dominate the ball regardless. Um, and I thought, you know, the start we made was unbelievable. Uh, away from home, brand new manager, a manager we know very well in Nathan Jones, and I wish him all the best except for when he's against us. But he's had six odd weeks and it looks no better there, does it? This could be a very important January transfer window for Southampton or else they may well be facing the drop. Um, because it's just not much of a good squad, is there? There's just not much there. And we made them look like a relegation team.
1: Yes, it's it's going to be tricky for them at the moment because that's, uh, well, hard to get the new manager bounce when everyone leaves for six weeks. Um, And it's sort of now just gone into a malaise for them. Yeah, but it's not not our problem to worry about. Put it that way. Uh, The and then there's a question in the chat here, just uh, talking about lineups and the difference between what we had at Charlton and um, you know what, what happened at Southampton. Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned here Kayseri not playing in the field. From what I could see, it was Pascal Gross playing like a left back for the most part to start with. Um, it very much felt like a side that was put out against Charlton as our players are just better and we'll figure this out. Um, and that's not always how it works in, in the cup. And I, th- I think you obviously saw against Southampton with the injuries and availability that we have for me, it was the, it's, it's the best lineup you can offer, but it probably will go back into a discussion that we've had ongoing and what we'll continue to have just given where we're at in the year is where we need to possibly start to refresh some of the team in January and who goes out and who comes in because as we've seen, we've not we've not had Adam Webster for quite a long time from a reliability standpoint. We we've talked about Welbeck for as a community for ten plus years at this point and his injuries. So what you're seeing on the pitch against Southampton yesterday was you know, pretty much fairly standard for what I would imagine we'll see for the rest of the season if we don't bring more people in. I'm not sure about you, but looking at the bench, you started to scratch your head a little bit around what are our options, especially as Indav looks like a. Um, a league one player. And that's why we saw Evan Ferguson come on. Um, the one thing, a wonderful anecdote, I will say just about the Southampton games, because I'm sure everyone else had family in town or whatever over the, over the Christmas holiday period. My in-laws were watching the Brighton game at the same time. They're not big football fans, but they just could, they were like, what, what were they doing? Cause they would see the Brighton players just pass the ball out at the back. And while they're being charged at, getting this massive press from Southampton and like, why are they doing that? They're going to give the ball away at the front. It's like, don't worry. This is this is Roberto De Zerbi masterclass. That's the game plan. And they just couldn't, because they've not, they don't watch football like that. When they do watch it, when they watch the World Cup, it's your standard kind of get the ball out, maybe get it out to the wing, get it up the pitch, play more direct, not pass it around about 500 times and wait for Shea Adams to overcommit so you need you dart up the pitch. And uh, you know, I think we're spoiled a little bit in terms of what we get to see because this isn't your you your broke standard tactic breakdown. This is this is a new thing, which is why you scored three goals away. It's different. I think uh,
2: for people that have been watching Brighton for a long time, I think we're somewhat acclimatized to it from Poyer onwards in, in this sort of this pause and wait. But I think the Zerbi's taking it to a new level where you're actively sitting on the ball as a center back um and, and waiting for something to change. Um it's very it's obviously weird to watch for, for everyone, but I think we're, we're a little bit more accustomed to it nowadays. Um, but it's just the level that they take it to. And I guess the technical ability, and I think this is probably where Colwell comes in is that, you know, that level of composure. And I think how old's the guy, like 19 years old. Um, so, you know, to, to have the ability to, to play in a certain way and have that composure and confidence against what we're trying to achieve. Um, I think he has stepped in very well. I think the first time he sort of came in, he was a little bit shaky. But I think now he's sort of, I I guess yesterday, not yesterday, but the weekend, definitely shown that he's able to do that. Um, And I genuinely think that Webster might have an issue uh, if if Colwell
0: plays to the standard that he did uh,
2: against Southampton.
0: Yeah, uh, and Webster looks like he might not be back anytime soon, maybe a couple more weeks yet. Um, and from what I can gather, it may be a couple of weeks for Adam Lallana as well. Uh, he got hurt, from what I can gather, uh, in the game at some point. He may be out for a little while. Um, so it's going to be, and Caicedo, of course, has his fifth match ban uh, coming in for Arsenal, and Alexis McAllister is out. Uh, so it's going to be, that's our entire midfield three that are out, there come Arsenal, which is... Great. Uh, It's going to be very interesting. We talked about that depth. Uh, Obviously, Pascal Gross will be in there. Um, You would assume that it will be a chance for Billy Gilmore to do something special. Um, But I think, you know, this game, unfortunately, for, for, you know, Tony Bloom's checkbook perhaps, uh, may well be a bit of a wake up call uh, with inevitably eight top teams banging down the door for 23 year old World Cup winner Alexis McAllister this summer, if not earlier. People after Moises Caicedo like nobody's business. Uh, And of course, our top scorer currently is, you know, all the rage on every transfer rumor site going that he's going to be gone this January as well. Um, It's going to be, uh, with such a depleted midfield, it's going to be a really interesting um, game Uh, because if we look obviously horrendous in the middle of the park. It's just going to provide more ammo to the fact that we need to either keep those players uh, and sign them up for juicy new long contracts. Well, Kaiseido, we've already done that for McAllister until 2025. Um, or we need to continue to, to strengthen. Um, but that Arsenal game is going to be a really interesting one to see what that depth looks like. Uh, we've talked about the fact that we don't have a lot of it elsewhere. Um, that midfield is very thin uh, coming into to the game against Arsenal. And I'm intrigued to see how it works out. Um, because that midfield is so important, and uh, you know Solly March for the first goal, um, second and third. I mean, he was instrumental in all of it. Um, it's going to be interesting now as well because I was talking about replacing him as a priority, and now he's absolutely banging it in. So, first goal, uh, Alan Alana, uh Solly March can- created the cross, good little cross as well. Uh, Bazunu, uh, oh dear, um, that's all I can really talk about with his entire performance, uh, bar in the third goal. Um, I think Soli March was going to get off, get off the, tar- get off the, uh, off the mark one way or another, right? Because he was going to score that second goal if Perot didn't pop it in the back of the net. Um, but Bazunu, man, fifteen million from Manchester City, I believe. <laughs> we we give Sanchez a hard time sometimes, don't we? But uh, oh dear, I oh no,
1: <laughs> yeah, not good. Oh, Sanchez was, we we'll could we'll get onto this, but Sanchez was semi-lucky to be on the pitch at the end. Because um, I could, I could absolutely have seen him get a second yellow for his little, uh, you know, tete a tete, if you want to call it that. But um, horrible, horrible little flap. It was a weak little Lalana header. It wasn't a strong cross from Solly. I think he missed it a bit. Honestly, I think he intended for back post. Um, and uh, yeah, you you you've seen you see those saved nine out of ten times. And also for a fairly competent goalkeeper, it's not even a. It's just a. It's just a sort of a, a, a catch it, <laughs> not even a palm out or anything like chaotic. So embarrassing, but we'll take those. Um, and this is the a bit of a difference between, I think, what we saw, um, you know, maybe last season before before deserving. It's easy to attribute this to a new manager, but how many times do we go through games where we're like, oh, we didn't get the teams there or it just didn't happen, didn't go in it's because we didn't take shots. <laughs> like we waited so long. We didn't just put a ball in the box and then hope. And when you do those things, what happens is something like that because sometimes goalkeepers aren't perfect. Sometimes defenders make a mistake. Ball goes in the box, weak header, goalkeeper screws up, we one wonder up. done.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right Is you? you kind of, there's, there's a, a calmer element to it isn't it we've been on the bad side of things for for a while it's nice to have a little bit of fortune there um when it comes to vizunu I think you're you're talking about a keeper that were playing at the third tier last year and is now as a number one at a prem side and um, i I haven't I'm not exactly a Saints fan by any means but it that is a bit of a hefty step up you know we've, we've seen it with our own goalkeepers uh so you know I, and I think... It, it, Probably segues nice into the second goal as well where he probably should have done a bit better too and um, is that you you take those right and, and you build on them um and that's exactly what we did for the second goal uh i think matoma estepinian down the left hand side was incredible the entire game and we'll see more of that i'm sure but uh with the, with the second goal as well is that you you put it into an area and and, and try and um, you know too many times where you you make those you make those chances and you work it so well, but you actually don't pull the trigger. And if you get those inviting balls into the box, sometimes it doesn't matter if you get onto the end of it because they'll do it for you.
1: And before that, by the way, I just a little reference point because I don't want to miss out on it. Two minutes into the game, Matoma skinned like three people uh, in their box too, and that was uh, that was like a. Um, if you had any kind of worries after Charlton. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I don't worry. We're back. We've got some of the flair back in. Uh, anyway.
0: Yeah, no, he uh, he looked very good, uh, as per usual, I think. Um, Mikey in the chat asked, what do we think of Ferguson? Not seen a huge amount of him yet, but he looks good. and I think we'll see more of him soon. Um, I thought he was a prime candidate to head out on loan in January. Uh, but at this rate, Undav may well be the guy out. Uh, And in which case, yeah, I think you're right. I think we will be seeing more of him soon. He'll be the one that will be coming on uh, to replace a tired Trossard or a tired Welbeck if Trossard's still here by January 1st. Um, I think he will be one of those players that we will be seeing a bit more of. In terms of what I think of him personally, I've seen as much as you. Uh, He did take a very good penalty at Charlton. But other than that, I've seen what you've seen, um, which is not a lot. Um, I hope well, he does well. He's a big boy compared to what we've got. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know enough about him, honestly, Mikey, to tell, tell you too much about what I think of Ferguson.
1: Well, he's a stocky six foot something, isn't he? And he just looks like an old school striker more than anything else. Uh, I've not seen a lot of him, but he's scoring a decent amount of goals in the under-21s. I think he's got a hat-trick recently. And you don't get called up by your national team at 18 years old, unless you look half decent, um, so there's there's reason for hope there. If and especially if De Zerby is is bringing him on over someone else that has been a clinical finisher in a in a better league than than the under 21 games, that tells you everything you need to know. So, I mean, expectations wise, he's 18 years old, but look, if you can come on and score a goal in the Premier League this season, that's enough for
0: me. Feels like he's been around forever, done not it? I know he's only 18, but God, I feel like I've heard Evan Ferguson's name for years. I'm
2: pretty sure he joined at like fifteen, didn't he?
0: Borderline
1: <laughs> just turned sixteen. It's yeah, it's it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, thank God he's not Brazilian. Man City would have signed him for like fifty million <laughs> like when he was just coming out of the womb.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um Second, second goal, uh, we thought, you know, we were worried that maybe they would start bouncing back a little bit. Uh, but actually, we, we just continued to just absolutely rip them apart. Uh, by the time that we got the second goal, uh, we were on 72.5% possession for the opening 24 minutes or whatever it was until we scored the second, 35 minutes uh, until we scored the second goal. Um, I mean, first of all, that's ridiculous away from home against a team with a new manager bounce so to speak. Um, So we just absolutely dominated the ball, dominated Southampton. Uh, As you said, the stats in terms of shots created and chances and all that stuff doesn't really match with what you were watching. Um, And the second goal comes along uh, from one of those ones that we've been talking about throughout the entire Potter era, it seems. Just hit the ball hard and low. We've not got tall players in the box. Just hit the ball hard, hit it low, see what happens. And sure enough, I feel like we've scored four or five goals this season from that. And Chelsea as well, when we played Chelsea, we had a couple of those. Hit it hard into the box, and if it bounces off someone, we've got just as much of it being an own goal as it is going to be one of us tucking it away, no?
1: I I honestly believe that for every single goal that we scored against Southampton, well, Potter we don't we don't get any of them with, with Potter as manager. Because you've you've got a ball placed directly into the box for the first one. You've got a fullback inside the box, crossing it directly in for the second goal. And then you've got someone just taking a crack outside the box to to put a curler into the top corner for the third goal. Um, Tell me when you really saw a lot of that under Graham. For everything good that he did, and I don't want to vilify him at this point because he did fantastic things for the club. We've talked about that a lot. He was amazing for Brighton. But, God, it's nice to see more direct, like, shooting and and putting the ball in the box and that third goal was just yeah
2: it's just the extra impetus isn't it from the way that we're playing now is that the whole the whole bait and counter press and and that sort of thing means that you have to move quicker and you have to be more direct when you get into those areas and um, we're talking about a very possession-based game in in potter but it's a slower build-up this is a classic bait and move as quickly as you can. And and that lends itself well to these Matoma runs, these Estepinian low crosses in um, and and trying to get on the end of a low ball rather than floating it in um, to a a bunch of Brighton players that are under six foot. Uh, It it just doesn't lend itself well. So it's nice that we're now playing to that advantage. Like you said, we saw it against Chelsea. We've we've seen it a, a few times now that the, I guess the philosophy of play and the way that we're playing lends itself well to those type of goals. And um, it's frustrating not to see those under Potter. And like I said, it, it's a completely different methodology of playing. So there's, there's no, there's no one is better than the other, but I think this is definitely lending itself well um, to the type of players that we have alongside the philosophy. So it's nice to see it come to fruition so quickly I mean, the the guy's been in for like two, three months now, uh, and you can clearly see that this is the Zerbi team, so uh, it's very exciting. And I think, yeah, I mean, moving on to the third goal as well. You know, we're we're in <laughs> we're in that territory of you know direct and and hitting the ball, and um, I'm so so happy that Solly March finally got his damn goal because I think Josh, you said before, it was coming becoming a little bit of a meme at, at one point. So I'm I'm glad he finally got it.
0: Yeah, I feel like he went and banged that in about 4 minutes after I tweeted about it being a meme. So, thanks Solly. Uh, that was finally it. We should have just I didn't know that that's all I needed to do. Uh if I knew that all I needed to do was like talk about it being a meme, that like that was it. Uh Solly flipped it and just banged one. Um yeah, like for Solly, I think he he encompasses everything I think that's been changed in that in that final third under Deserbi, and it's just total confidence in hitting the ball on goal or towards goal by every player on the pitch. I think they all believe that they can make something from even from nothing from a 35 yard screamer when you've missed a penalty from twelve yards out four days ago and you know just struggled to to get a goal instead of an own goal and has had such a problem with with converting. And he had the absolute confidence in him to just absolutely belt one. And I think that's something you wouldn't you wouldn't see under Potter and it's not because he would demoralize them or anything like that. Like you said, Adam, like, it's not to, like, vilify them. Chelsea fans are going to do that with plenty themselves. But it's it's <laughs> it's the it's just the, the methodical, like, you don't take that chance. You wait until there's a super clear cut, open take on net, and then you shoot. You don't take long shots. You don't play the, like, the percentage game. You don't try and get deflections. You just wait and wait and wait until there's a chance on goal that – you know, fits what we've been looking for. For Deserby, the confidence in that final third for any player to just go, "Now nah, I'm going to do something with this," and Deserby's encouragement of that clearly because it continues to happen. Um, I think I think that's that's one of the biggest differences. Um, and I know we said this right at the beginning, but you know, however pissed off we all were at the time with Potter, uh, it was probably the best possible time for him to bounce and and stab us in the back with it because we got Deserby in before the World Cup and he's essentially had his own summer at this point with the majority of the players to really embed an identity that probably would have taken until the summer to get really embedded in the culture of the Albion. And you're already starting to see it on fast forward. We've got really lucky in that respect Um, that he's had so much time that no manager before ever will have had that look right like and you can say the same for nathan jones and it hasn't worked out for him but he also didn't take over a team that were in the top six when when he did uh he's had such a privilege to be able to have such a lucky you know rare opportunity and and you can see that it's already starting to show um and then you add on to the fact that even though tony hates it you've got all of that mid-season preseason, and then you've got a great start against southampton and a week away you've got the transfer window opening. And a chance to start strengthening the side.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm sure we will absolutely bowl into that discussion. But um, <clears throat> maybe just a reference point to the Arsenal game, you mentioned the players that we're going to be without for that Arsenal game, and it does. It looks fairly ugly. Um, and this is not the same Arsenal side that we got the privilege of facing last year. Um, especially at the Amex on that sort of, if I remember quite fairly dreary day where we played really, really well and and didn't get quite what we deserved, if I remember correctly. Um, This will be a tough task without arguably your, your, your two best players, if it's fair to say that at this point Um, might be a bit of a stretch, but we'll see. Um, I think that's one where you just have to go. We're down on like a little bit with suspensions and, and, People being away, and we focus on that that Everton game, which is don't worry, the hangover is only going to be a couple of days because you play Tuesday the third of January against Everton. So um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. But I, what I am annoyed about, and what this is maybe it's time to bring it up the that discussion that that took the Brighton Twitter by storm a little bit when uh, the Chelsea for Fana transfer kind of all came about. Going back to the statements that were made. By Barber and Co. around, don't worry about Potter and our entire staff going to Chelsea. They're not going to poach transfers. They're fishing in a different area, different lake. Um, and they've gone and signed a 20-year-old striker from Mulder, who we were rumoured with for months and months and months. And um at the same time, they signed a pre-contract and, and Cuckoo, who was like Bundesliga's player of the year or whatever last year. So Turns out they're going to have their cake and eat it. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much we have to redefine the transfer strategy a little bit and almost go, well, these are the players that we've been focusing on. We know now Chelsea are actually after these ones. So let's we got to pick the ones Chelsea aren't going to pick. It's a weird situation.
0: Yeah. And to expand on that as well, because... Barbara, is, Barbara basically owns the propaganda machine that is Andy Naylor too, right? And he's very selective about he, – he's also very selective about which podcast he goes on, right? There's a reason why the fan advisory board is the age range they are. There's a reason why he goes on the podcast with the age ranges they are. It's all people that are very happy to mouthpiece the club, right? Fact of the matter is for anybody over here in the U.S. that's a baseball fan, I'm not one. But I know a lot of people who are big time Todd Bowley is essentially a slightly more obnoxious Tony Bloomer baseball. He is a big investment in Moneyball type baseball chairman of the LA Dodgers. He owns DraftKings, which is, again, similar to the way the Lizard stuff works with Tony. He owns a lot of betting stuff. He's all about the analytics. He's all about the early investments with players. He takes all of that stuff very, very seriously. That's how he runs his baseball team. Everybody likes to shit on Todd Bowley for being the guy who's just coming in and robbing the Albion infrastructure, and he is, but he's doing it because he is actually really smart with this stuff. He intends to run Chelsea the same way he runs the LA Dodgers. And unfortunately, we were doing it first. (laughs) And what he's done is he's just took our infrastructure, realized he can copy and paste it to Chelsea at a slightly higher level. But why does he need to do it at a slightly higher level? We're already bringing in players that are World Cup winners. They're World Cup winners. They're World Cup quarter finalists, their World Cup semi-finalists, their World Cup group stage standouts. These players that we're signing already are already incredible players. And people are saying, well, buying them at Chelsea, it doesn't give them the chance to build up and like, you know, become the players they are now. Of course it does. And you know why? Because they have what we don't. And it's exactly the, the thing that Paul Barber and the Albion Roar were saying is like, well, what he was saying is that we don't have 50 million pounds to throw around. That's why they're so much gonna, they're so much more dangerous than us because they can spend seventy million pound over the course of the summer on five project players and all five of them were probably at the top of our shortlist, right? And if two of those don't work in January, they can spend another hundred on plug and play replacements that we can't do. So actually, they should be fishing in our pond more than ever. And the reason it's such a danger to our pond is because they do have the ability to just. Well, those two didn't work, i.e. a Jürgen Lacadia or a Neil Mope or whatever, like punts like that. Ah, shit. They didn't work. We've got three Alexis McAllisters, though, but we'll just plug in and play and buy that lad from Benfica for 40 million and plug him in. And we know he's going to do just fine. I, I don't understand the idea that they're not going to fish in the same pond. We're already seeing they are. And if anything, the ability to plug and play fifty million pound players tells me that our pond should be in more danger than ever. I don't I don't get it. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense if you take ten seconds to scrutinize the actual reality behind it and who Todd Bowley is. Love him or hate him, and we all mostly hate him, rightfully, for what he's doing with this. But like, he's not an idiot. He's not like this crazy throw money at everything maniac. Like this is this is what he's been doing in baseball for a while and i don't i don't i think it's just wrong i think the idea of the pond stuff is just unbelievably naive
1: <laughs> i think the biggest thing that annoys me about all of it is there's been a, a sort of a uh, a standard that's been upheld for a number of years where I'm, I, this is going to sound like it's a disservice but we'll, let's just be honest about things you've got your big clubs that can afford to buy the big players And then you have your clubs that you could call them more in the feeder realm or just clubs that are going to be buying the youngsters and then trying to build them up and sell them on for more. We're one of those clubs now. You've got your but with all due respect. So clubs like Ajax, Dortmund, et cetera, et cetera. The Portuguese clubs you mentioned where we this this is a sort of semi dangerous (laughs) precedence. is uh, and so i'm laughing because if you're listening on the podcast mikey in the chat just suggested we register an interest in the cardio against if we can bait chelsea but i think where this becomes a dangerous precedence is we've always then been able to act as a bit of a filter for these clubs those clubs have gone and done their own thing they they paid the money they bought the big players and they've done their thing and we've then gone and for every Alexis McAllister, there's there's five valley residue hank bashes And we go through that process. They get game time with us. They make us better. And then we eventually sell on for a profit. And that means that the Chelsea's of the world only get the McAllister's. They don't waste the time on on the LaCardia's. Um, Now, though, as you say, because there's so much money swirling around, they don't need us. In many ways, we're the middlemen in that scenario. Cut us out. Sign a bunch of them. The rest go out on loan, or they put them in the under twenty ones, or do what they want. Put them out on their their you know franchise MLS club like the City Group have gone. Let them play in City. Sign a player, and they can go let them play for NYCFC for a bit, or whoever it is. And they can run it like that. And I think we're in a really dangerous place just from a footballing standpoint as to how we then get cut out of those scenarios and where we need to source our players from. Yeah, and you've got.
2: I think we're also selling ourselves a little bit short as well is that we are in that pond because we are seventh in the Premier League and we know that we can, you know, play relatively well in the Premier League and and we know what our aspirations are. There's there's that. Argument of you know we can give them more sustained game time earlier um, and and those sort of filters work that's all well and good but I think to to Josh's point is that there is more fishing in this metaphorical pond now in, in that there is less from us to choose from because we're not going to be the first choice and um, especially with the amount of money that is floating around now you may get a couple that you know, prioritize game time over, you know, a, a very high profile move and, and the element of Champions League looming over you on a consistent basis. But there is going to be less for us to choose from. And not only that, but it's going to be a lot harder for us to convince players to come in now when a lot of clubs are looking at the similar players and, and using the same, I guess, the same ethos that we are. Uh, it is going to be rough. And, and I think to, to that point, we need to identify different targets we need to sort of start afresh from that perspective as well and it will be important for what the S- Zerbi and, and the rest of the team do for this upcoming january window because bringing it back to what we've currently got is that we do need midfield reinforcements it looks like Undav is just not preferred whatsoever so do we get a third head in there i, I would obviously say yes and i think that's one for for twitter to continue, continue arguing as well but it it's those sort of bits where we are fishing in the same ponds. We have to accept that. We need to do something different or we need to mix it up a little bit. Um, I think it is an inherent danger um, given that a lot of our recruitment staff know exactly what we're after and, and those that don't believe that are also naive. Um, so we, we just need to think about that and it'll be interesting to see what we do in January um, just to see the kind of targets we go after. Not the individuals, but, but more... What are we looking for? Uh, are we looking for plug and play now um, for, for, you know, potential stars later on? Um, how do we react? And, and that'll be the most important thing for me. Do, do you
1: know who doesn't think we need a striker? <laughs> Andy bloody Naylor. And you brought him up. This is your fault, Josh. Like, <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> I can't get over. Like, he's just a troll now. He's just, a, he's just the clubs at third party troll why do you come at, so if you haven't seen the tw- the tweet nayla straight after the southampton game goes brighton apparently in desperate need of a striker have now scored three goals or more in four of their last five games against premier league opposition um because you know as we all know andy it's incredibly sustainable to expect that um lalana scores a goal a game from a header that should have been saved uh we get an own goal and then March belts one in as a curler from 25-30 yards out yeah we don't need a striker let's continue to play Trossard as a false nine we've got Undav who um, you know I'll pat myself I was wrong on Alexis but I, I did early days I was talking about Undav maybe not working out and look at that now I was I was mocked by, by talking about <laughs> Undav maybe not being a good good side uh, good uh, starter for us and uh, now he's being rumoured to be going out to make what championship tier loan. Um, and then we go back to what we talked about before. What, so, so your backup for the injured Welbeck and false 9 Trossard is now going to be your 18-year-old Evan Ferguson, who, with all due respect, we're, we're a Brighton fan podcast, and we don't know how good Evan bloody Ferguson is. So, yeah, Naylor, brilliant. All your years of covering what you've come up with is just some churlish comment about we don't need a striker because we, we put three past Southampton in, uh, in a, you know, frankly unsustainable manner.
0: Yeah. Uh, I did just to revisit the claim from Barber that Paul Winstanley, who has worked here, worked at the Arbium for probably the best part of a decade, uh, has no idea what, what players are contained in the Brighton recruitment database. It's just superb, absolute <laughs> mental statement. Um, just, I, If he was to tell me, if Barber was to say Graham Potter doesn't know the depth of players or who they are in that recruitment database that we have, I'd actually believe him. I would. I believe him that for the most part, he doesn't really have much of a clue as to who we've got following. But to say that Stanley and McCauley don't know the depth of players and what those are. I mean, we said, I mean, it was proven wrong immediately because the lad from Molder has just been signed. So they do know because that's the, that's the exact. No, no, that was pure
1: coincidence that they were targeting Chelsea at a desperate need of a 20 year old Ivorian playing in the Norwegian league. That's all yes. they've been talking about for a long time. Like that's the one piece that unlocks Chelsea.
0: Yeah, you're right. You are right. Um, let's revisit the Southampton game though. I didn't want to get off of it just yet. Uh, standout players how did you uh, i mean for me i think joel veltman continues to be one of the best value for uh, the best value for money player we've ever signed i think him and pascal gross will probably be a two-horse race until the end of time at this point uh what i think we paid like two million quid for both of them put together um surely it's Moses Caicedo at this point though like we sign him for like eight million or something though
1: yeah when we sell him for the amount of money that we get from him and that'll be for return on investment <laughs> but yeah I agree with you I'm just being annoyed
0: no I I just thought I there are times when I, I just want Tarek Lampty to play like because he's so good and he looked good whenever he's come on as a sub he's looked impactful but when Veltman is playing that role so well uh and you've got Solly march on that right hand side that can go up and down as much as you want and you've got estepinion and my termer that can do the same thing I, I can understand why he's not able to get in um because i thought beltman was just brilliant again like i th- he's so underrated at times because we have now started to score a lot of goals uh and you do have a world cup winner in your midfield and you have got moses Caicedo in there who's in every paper every other week now with 100 million pound bids and stuff like that uh And you've got your club captain and probably the first player we can truly talk about putting a statue outside the Amex for playing alongside him, right? But, like, just brilliant. I just... I cannot say enough good things about Joel Veltman. Uh, The third most amount of touches in the game, by the way, from right back uh, against Southampton. Um, Only the two midfielders, as you would expect, had more. Um, I just... I've got nothing better, more to say about him other than just what a player he is. Like truly, like I cannot wax lyrical or vibe enough.
2: Like, just, yeah. It, it yeah. Go on, it <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, mate. It, it, he just deserves it all. Doesn't he? Um, I, he's so consistent. I think we're now going to start playing a four rather than a five. And it just means he has to start a right back for me. Um, it's just a, a given. I think he, he locked up Sam Madozzi pretty well. Um, barring a very harsh penalty that I also want to talk about. Um, but, yeah, it's just so good. And I think it's that consistent element is that he, you know what he brings and every single time he delivers. He doesn't have an off game um, that I can remember in the the short-term past. at the, at the minimum. I'm sure people will be able to, to tell me at that time. But just a consistent 8 out of 10 every single game. You know what he does. He's so good at it and makes the room for Soli March for the third goal as well so it's not all defensive with him as well he is up there and um, Jess yeah I think I agree with you Josh I, he doesn't get the credit that he probably deserves I think I know he was second in our list for player of the season last year so I think I think we're we're okay but I I think he he deserves more plaudits and, and credit for what he brings to this team
1: Seven tackles in that game, just for as a reference point. Uh, Lewis Dunk uh, and, and Colwell, zero tackles. They didn't have to tackle anyone. A um, couple of interceptions in there. So just, um, yeah, fairly good performance, you might say, <laughs> uh, in in the context of everything else. He's very good. I mean, if you're asking for men of the match, it's, uh, look no further. One, one of my favourite hobbies is ragging on Solly March. But he was the best player on the pitch against Southampton. And um, more of that, like if we see that Solly March, it doesn't need to be every game, doesn't need to be every one in three games, but every now and then we see a guy that's capable of going around people, putting in a good pass, smashing the ball into the net. That's the guy. That's the guy that Deserby hopes for and the reason why he's uh, what, in his first press conference, one of the first people he's mentioned was Solly March. Um, he's seen something in him. Um, if he can start to play at that standard, that's that's all we can ask for.
0: Yeah. I don't think there's any debate there. Man of the match was solely by a million miles. Uh, a goal assist and half goal. Like, it was going in one way or another. Uh, it's just kind of sad for him. He didn't get it. Um, but you really can attribute it to him, right? Like, the it was going in whether he wanted it to or not. Um, yeah, I thought he was excellent. Uh, let's talk about that penalty. Um, I'll let you talk about the challenge itself and what you thought about it. But let's just give Big Bob some, some praise here. Uh, saved a penalty. Uh, pushed it out into the absolute worst possible place.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the worst version of a penalty save you can make. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: Big Bob is not known as a penalty saver, and given the size of the man, you would expect him to be considered a good penalty saver. Uh, but he has not been. Um, so to see him make a save against James Ward-Prowse of all people, I was very encouraged by that. um He's still obviously so frigging young, but. The penalty saving stuff has been stuff that's frustrated us all I think how is Big Bob not a better penalty saver at least more intimidating in net when he when it's there but he's not um I'm hoping that might be the turning the corner there um because the penalty wasn't a great penalty but you still have to save them you still have to go the right way you still have to make the save um and he did it was good for my fantasy team as well but I, I thought he I thought he had a really good game uh, a couple of punches he made from some of those corners as well were really good. Um, none of those kind of flappy ones that you've seen in the past. He absolutely haymakered them. Um, so love it. I thought he played really well. Um, I saw a couple of traditional uh, vintage Deserby stand on the balls with your studs up uh, from Sanchez this weekend as well. Um, I thought he played really well, and I thought that penalty save was excellent. Um, but I'll Craig, I'll let you talk about the actual penalty in and of itself because uh, i i know you said it you thought it was harsh and i no. think we probably all agree
2: yeah no i i agree i think it's yeah it's, it's a relief that he gets a penalty save because i think it, it has been one of the the biggest gripes is that he's just really not intimidating enough from from 12 yards and um, the penalty itself i think it it can be quite divisive i think for me I don't think a was under full control of the ball. It kind of just ricocheted through Gross's legs and, and sort of got upended. Um, so I, I thought it was harsh. I thought it deserved more of a look with VAR. Um, I again, it's it's one of those that if it happens to you, I'm sure you're expecting a penalty. But if you're if you're the team uh, against it, then it, it feels a little bit harsh for me. But I think it was just around the element of control, is that it wasn't placed through Gross's legs; it just ricocheted off it based off a tackle previously, and um, just seems a, a little bit tricky for me. But uh, you win some, you lose some. I know we've talked about that.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those ones where if, the, if, it, if it doesn't get called in real time, I don't think the VAR goes and then gives the penalty because I think either way you can make an argument and, and it goes back to that sort of clear and obvious error kind of situation. It, you can't say that it was a clear and obvious error to give the penalty. If he didn't give it in the first place, I don't think they would have come back and said it was a clear and obvious error not to give a penalty. Um, and it's uh, when, when you're 3-0 no up, it's in, in 75 minutes in or whatever it was at that particular point. It's you, you, it's less of a contentious issue than if it was a one-one game and that was uh, that was a penalty to get it to two-one for them. Um, he was good, you know. I think he lost his call a little bit, obviously a little bit later where there was um, maybe Shea Adams. I think was maybe he left a foot in with a bit of a loose ball, but that was a bit all over nothing. I think the biggest takeaway I had there was on both the penalty and then that bit of um, handbags, you want to call it that afterwards was how good of a leader Dunk continues to be. Like he steps in, he pushes everyone away and only talks to the referee, he gets Sanchez out of it. Like he is, he's a leader. He is a very, very, very good leader. And he was also one of the first ones when Solly scored, the whole team jumped on him. Like lots of good like team building stuff going on, coming out of that game, which was good to see. It's a bunch of guys that believe in the manager as well.
0: Yeah, big time. Um, No doubt about that. Uh, So yeah, 3-1 final score, obviously a superb result coming back from from such a long break. Um, Arsenal next, uh, they look like a team that in that first half, I thought, oh boy, are Arsenal going to bottle it? They, they shouldn't have, you know, we talked about which teams may benefit or get hurt by this break in play. Um, and we thought that Brighton were one of those that would probably benefit from giving Deserby longer, longer opportunities to get people bedded in. Uh, and I think we all said that Arsenal losing this momentum could be a bit tough for them. Uh, and for the first forty-five minutes, I was like, "Oh no, yes, this is this is bad." Um, and then they probably came out, uh, and they're not—they're not, they're not the, the Arsenal of the last ten years, are they? They absolutely battered West Ham in that second half. Um, they travelled down to the Amex uh, against a depleted uh, Brighton side. What are you—you know—what you, what changes are you expecting to see? Obviously, we're going to have Casado out. We have got Everton. Uh, what three days, four days afterwards? Uh, Is this a game, I don't want to call it like a game that you wouldn't mind losing because you want to win them all, right? But is this the game that you expect a bit of rotation in just to keep players fit in the hopes of going to Goodison and taking points? Or do you think he'll just play his best 11 uh, possible without even thinking about Everton going forward because of the amount of break they've had and you'd expect that fitness to be okay?
1: My personal opinion is he played the strongest play, the strongest 11. Um, again, we don't have enough depth to faff around with not um knowing the fact that when it comes around to the Everton game, you're going to get to replace your your midfield engine um with with, with uh, you know the world Cup winner and, and Moyes is coming back from a uh, a suspension. so yeah, you know I, I would expect that we see Lalana Gross and, and Billy Gilmore triumvirate, uh, which terrifies me a little bit no la uh, he's hurt who we gonna who's gonna be there can you tell me yeah well whatever our strongest <laughs> 11 happens to be i think we'll still play it uh, the, I, I, I don't think Arsenal are going to have because hazius is at long term right so if you want to try and create a situation where you're mildly hopeful is that you're probably coming up against a sort of kettier again or something like that um, however I don't care about the result in this game just because uh, it's Arsenal look like a different prospect this year. If you lose this game, you walk away, you go on to the next one. Let's go and beat Everton. That's my mindset behind this one.
2: Yeah, same here. Feels like a free hit. Um, Expectations are, are low. Um, but I think it's one of those games where as long as we give it a good go um, I, I agree with you Adam I don't think there's there's, <laughs> there's any rotation that we can do um, other than just completely giving the game away and uh, so we'll we'll see um, just depends I think it'll be a good game regardless I think I'm just yeah I, we're all concerned about that sort of midfield and, and being overrun there um, it just depends what Deserbi thinks about doing whether we we pack that in and or sort of you know, take it as as five of the back and, and try and do it that way, but expectations are not really there, so it, it's more of a case of let's let's give a good showing, let's give it a good go, and um, I won't be too disappointed if we if we come up with zero points.
0: It's also a good opportunity, isn't it, for some of these players, especially what it's New Year's Eve, is it that we're playing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. We're literally hours away from the window opening uh, when we play Arsenal. Um, there is not much more of a spotlight for some players who are going to get the opportunity to say, no, like you don't want to send me out on loan. Like Keep me here. I can offer value here in a Premier League team that are in the top seven or eight. Like I can do that. I can be that person. If you get a £100 million bid for Alexis McAllister in January, trust me, Gaffer, Like I've got it. Like if there's ever an opportunity to do it when you're not expected to do it is at the Emirates, uh, at the Emirates against the visiting leaders who just battered West Ham. Um, and I, I agree with you, Adam. I think we'll play our best eleven for sure. I don't think we'll do any rotation really. Um, and Everton, Goodison Park's always a tough place for us to go. Particularly, I feel like we have a horrible record there. Um, I think we had the worst record, didn't we, in like history? I think didn't we aren't we one of those teams that we beat them for the first time in like 42 games or whatever there that sounds right um but worth noting they have to go to the uh the Etihad on New Year's Eve and um, so to, it's not yeah, easy for them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've got to play Manchester City uh on the same day we play Arsenal so it's not a case that they'll be able to go and you know take it easy against a team that maybe will be playing long ball or hoof ball or whatever like nope They've got a at 16th in the table or 17th, I think. Even go ahead and uh, play Manchester City um, in a couple of days' time. So they're they're having a rough one as well. Um, I think that these next two, if we can get points from Everton, I'm not really bothered about how it goes down at Arsenal. Um, in typical Brighton fashion, I'd probably expect us to now beat Arsenal and then lose to Everton, like with an awful one 0 loss or something. Um, and we'll come on Michaelis here. Macallister red card. 3rd. Yeah, we'll come on here on January 3rd and go, well, we got three out of six. Not the way we expected, boys, every other week. Uh, and, go, <laughs> and go from there. Um, but transfer window is approaching as well. Um, Alexis McAllister, Leandro Trossard, Moises Caicedo, Robert Sanchez have been all four good players. <laughs> that event, we're not going to talk about Undav or anyone else too much, but those are the four players that we've had really important to our our team right and all four of those had been in and around the rumor mills all season long uh chelsea won in sanchez uh having attention from lots of clubs trossard 18 months left on his deal lots of interest from lots of clubs even today they're saying he's got lots of people wanting to look at him and alexis mcallister is a world cup winner um, we have just saw Cody Gakpo go for a crap ton of money. Uh, he was one of those ones that stood out to me early days for the Dutch as one of those players that was absolutely going to be one of those World Cup hype signings. Um, when you look at that two-star in 11s for France and Argentina, uh, there are two players that really stand out in that 12-22 uh, that could be signed from a smaller club, so to speak. And that was Martinez and, and, and McAllister. Um Villa also can pay a crap ton of money, so I'm going to also kind of discount that from them. So he's the standout player from those finalists that you think, as a big club, we can go swoop on with the World Cup hype in January. So Sanchez, McAllister, Trossard, and Caicedo. How many of those do you think are still Brighton players come February 1st?
1: I don't like this question.
0: (laughs) Well, it's uh, not about all, liking all it, of Adam. Them.
1: I think they're all bright players after the transfer window, and I've got. I a- think
0: every. I think every answer uh. is viable. By the way, I think all four staying yeah, at the Albion mean, is absolutely but I think there's every chance. I don't. I'm not saying it in a doom and gloom that everybody's going to leave. Like I'm not wanting it to sound like that for the listeners. I, I'm just interested to see what you both think about whether you, how you think Tony Bloom plays this particular poker hand, because it is a very, very crucial one at this stage in the season and our development as a club.
1: Yeah, I I think you have to have such an astronomical offer uh, where he has to semi-agree to just dump the season.
0: Uh,
1: because if you give up, realistically, any one of those guys, unless you've got some really a grade signing that you've you've been hiding that you bring in in january then your team's gutted any one of those guys again i I, i've just been looking at this our squad list for the last 10 minutes while we've been chatting and i'm like where where are the rest of them because we we already knew in the summer that we'd suffer we've already got we, we still, don't, I know Moda's like got. He's been kicking a ball out, but we don't expect Yakub Moda back for months. Uh, you can't afford to lose these guys. You can't afford to lose any of them without without a proper replacement because the team just. You have to then go. Our dream of you know, seventh place that we're currently in, and hopefully even somehow somehow beyond our wildest dreams, beating what we did last year from a table finish position. You have to go. I don't care. We take the money because the offer's too good. If that could happen. I just don't. I don't see it.
2: I think we've we've seen notoriously a, a lack of movement in the January transfer windows. I think that needs to change this window, obviously with the Zerbi coming in. Um, I think if you see if you see anyone go, it'll just be one person. Um, I think it, there's there's that call as to how how disruptive is it going to be to let one person go, but the other three stay. Um. I think you'll only see one person go, if any. I don't think anyone's going to go. Um, but I feel that if anyone is going to go, it's probably going to be Trossard. Um, and that's just a, a hunch on me, is that I think that's a safer bet than the others. Um, I think the other ones are a shoo-in for a big money move in the summer. Um, or we'll have to fend those off. It's, it's more just batten down the hatches for now and, and see how the season plays out. Because we are seventh in the table. Um and that there is something to fight for here. You know, as much as we don't want to talk about it and sort of do that, it is Boxing Day. We are sat in the conference league slot um and there is something to play for here. Um so I think for me, just to ensure, I think if we see anyone go, it's probably gonna be trussard for me. But I don't anticipate that too much either.
0: Yeah, I, I actually I agree with the name, but I think he definitely will be gone. I do personally. Um, I think Trossard's definitely off. I think we've agreed. I think he's got the year extension with the express purpose of us telling him that he can look around for a club this January because he wants out. Uh, Mikey in the chat said that he thinks Alexis has seen Kukare and Basuma go and then get benched nearly every game and there's no thanks, I'll play every week. Uh, Alexis is 23 years old. Caicedo is younger than that, isn't he? He's like, what, 21, 20? 20. Um, we is are in... that i know we are in that conference league spot um i think some of those players even this summer truly i think some of those players like your Alexis's and your and your kaisados will be looking at that and thinking if we, especially if we get into europe like the the pinnacle of it right like let's see brighton finish seventh and actually make it into a european competition i think a lot of them will be sitting there thinking like i can continue building my own legacy here thanks like I'll, i'm sure they'll ask for a pay raise and i'm sure they'll get it uh but like, I think that they'll be happy thinking, I'll wait until I'm 26, thanks, and uh, and then I'll move for a lot of money and possibly another £70,000 a week by the time 2026 rolls around. Um, Trossard is 28 now. He's just at a World Cup for a Belgian team that totally un- unimpressed. Um, I think that Leo will be of the mindset of I would rather sit on the bench for 200 grand a week at this point and get some get that big move uh, than play for us every week um, personally. I, I think he's the one that is gonna leave and I think he will leave. and I I will not be surprised if we have a deserve a special transfer already lined up to replace him. Whether it's a Shakhtar player, a Sassuolo player, or just someone else totally out of the left field that he's like had his eye on for ages. Uh, because I think that Mulder striker was not a deserving player, right? I think he was very much a bloom mm-hmm. analysis thing. Uh, I am sure that Deserby has came in with a list of his own players. The fact that he knew so much about Solimarch before he even got the job tells me he's quite a... Uh, an enthusiast for, for players that aren't even anything to do with him. I won't be surprised if we have someone lined up to replace him, whether it ends up going well or not. But that's my that's my prediction on it. I think we'll keep all the other three. Uh, but I think hard will be gone, which will be a damn shame, by the way. But I think he will.
1: Yeah, you've... <laughs> we've got... There's lots of news. And and this is obviously the... We're in the, the stupid season now where... The rumours come out and you don't know what to believe and all this silliness. But you've got verified people coming out talking about Brighton players just just today alone. Um, And Trossard's one of them, right? Uh, I think one of the um, uh, CBS journalists has talked about Trossard being offered to multiple clubs and his agent is aggressively pursuing options. Um, But uh, we don't know if they'll come to fruition. You've got the Newcastle... The reporter, if you want to call him that, that writes for The Telegraph, has come out an hour ago saying that Moises Caicedo is top of the list for them with an expected asking price of £60 million. Um There's going to be a lot of this. Will any of it happen? Is it p- potentially. I get, I see what you're saying about Trossard. I, re- I really do. Um, just because of where he's at and he's not one of the... He's probably the one that you would give up First. Because you, you don't want to give away your World Cup winner, you don't want to give away Moises Caicedo. Like the, you've got, you don't want to see Trossard leave, but he's probably the one you give up if you have to let one go. Um, if it's Caicedo, it's going to be big money. No reason to properly sell him for now. Nothing. Um, it, it's upside, but I do going back to the kind of point that's been made, and we've talked about this about. You know, Mikey brought up the idea that players go and they go to these bigger clubs and maybe they're, they're seeing what might happen. I get it, but they take that move a hundred times out of a hundred. Uh, there's only a certain amount of times where you're, you you get offered in your footballing career to go and play for one of the big boys. And no matter what happened, it could be Man U and it could be the last 100 players to sign for Man U have all just been absolute crap and it's disarray. You still go. You still go um, because we've seen that. We talked about that with Basuma and he loves the club and look, at he's so happy with his birthday cake and he loves the Marina and all that. Straight off. I, uh, You know, it's Cucurella. We've got a wonderful Spanish community in Brighton. It's so good. For, he's off. See you later. Drove past Stamford Bridge once. So, you know, I just, I, I get that side of it and I want to believe it. But uh, as soon as these guys get a decent offer, the club accepts, they will be gone. They'll double their salary with what we pay at least. And you just, it's a business decision. And it, it'll always boil
2: down to that, won't it? Um, you know, there's, there's those sort of bits. And I think that's my reasoning for, I guess, the expected Sort of Trossard move is that, yeah, you you're 28, 29 years old, careers are short. Like let's let's get that big money move whilst I can. You know, I, I've scored seven, eight goals in the Premier League already. Like, if I can get up then then fantastic. And if he if he does go to Chelsea, then he he obviously has familiar faces there. That's all well and good. And you know, if you go to any of the others, I'm sure you know there's there's going to be some Belgian counterpart in, in in those teams wherever he sort of ends up as well. So, I completely understand it and i think this this isn't the case of us you know again vilifying any sort of moves we're completely understanding in the fact um i I think it's it's more that resignation that that is going to happen eventually that that we're talking about
0: i think trossard to chelsea would be one of the funniest stupidest moves that i have ever seen a football player make they already have about eight trossard players at chelsea that is the one position i would say that chelsea do not need to look at strengthening in any window for the next like four years. <laughs> they have so many players that can do the job.
1: Again, they've it's just not- signed in Cuckoo as well. I know he played, it's slightly different yeah. position, but they've just signed another guy that can do that sort of role.
0: Yep. It, I I don't think Chelsea will go. I, I won't be surprised if Newcastle do though. Um, that's the sort of place that I think he would under Eddie Howe and that Newcastle team with the momentum they've got. I, I won't be surprised. Um, and not only is it a case of, you know, making a shit ton of money, which he would do, but he has the opportunity to be the guy, like the guy for Belgium in America in 2026, if he gets his big money move and goes off with a bang. Like if he goes there and like, obviously he'll back himself, but if he goes to Newcastle and Newcastle continue to go up and finish top four or whatever, and they're playing Champions League and Trossard's one of their best players... Alongside the rest of them, like your armadons and stuff, like he he would believe in his head, even if it's not going to happen, he believes that he could be the guy for Belgium in that World Cup. Like I just think that's something that will be in his head.
1: Yeah, maybe. Uh, If it's if it's not if it doesn't happen for him now, it's not going to happen because the the. the yeah, right. The move after this is is your your uh you know, your turn down. Maybe you hope for some from some money from the Emirates. Maybe you head out to the US, you stay in the US after the, the World Cup, go and play for the Portland Timbers. I don't know. Uh but yeah, he's this is his last time to get a big, big move. Um and he'll take it. He will. But I, I just God, if we what do you do if he goes in January? Who are you playing? All right, Danny Waelbeck's injured. What have you got?
0: What have you got for us? But that's why I think we'll be replacing him before he even goes. I won't be surprised if he doesn't go till the last week of January, and I think we'll bring in someone before that. But, but
1: realistically, no who when who are, who are we bringing in? Uh, again, I'm not asking for a name because it's hard to no, deal with these situations. But that you're then asking for a player that can comfortably play week in, week out as a starter in the Premier League up top. Those don't grow on trees. You've seen it because, you know, everyone's now signing... Players from Mulder, that are, you know, won't be decent enough to start for about eight years. So it's, I don't, I, I, don't know if I see it. I think there'll be a, a surprise if you want to call it that. There's obviously working behind the scenes, and the club never leaks transfers coming in. They never do. I, I just don't know. I want to be shocked, but I would be really shocked because I just don't know who that is or what it is. That's just a, that's a hard thing to just gazump the footballing world with that we sign a decent number
0: nine I mean there's a there's a very good striker that's probably not going to have a job at Brentford for much longer <laughs> <laughs> yeah take a gamble on that oh. he'd be right at home with Tony wouldn't he yeah yeah Tony's already probably made a killing off of Ivan <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean
2: in in other news I mean there's a 20 million pound rated striker that's playing for Coventry at the moment
0: Yes, <laughs> there is. Yeah, there is. <laughs> oh. I don't. I, for what it's worth, I don't think he's going to be able to do it in the Prem at all. But no. watch me be totally wrong now and him score 15 goals next <laughs> year and beat the next Mitrovic. Um, <laughs> but a uh, brilliant welcome back if we pretend Shelton didn't happen, uh, which I'm going to choose to do. Uh, a brilliant welcome back for the Albion. Um, the World Cup was good. One of the best World Cups we would probably ever watched in terms of game quality lots of drama lots of fun the messy legacy is cemented which is brilliant like it's proper like stuff you'd see in a film more than in actual real life uh, if there's ever a argument to say football's fixed that was <laughs> just about as like poetic as it can get um brilliant start solly march finally breaking himself out of his curse adam lalana breaking himself out of his mini curse not both uh, he's got injured so that curse continues Um, but two big games coming up over the new year Arsenal and Everton Um, we will be back I'm sure uh, to discuss both of them Um, I'm sure that we will be back post Everton and then post Arsenal or vice versa Um, we'll do two episodes uh, one on New Year's and one right after that Um, and we will uh, we'll be back in a couple of days because they come thick and fast now for the next couple of uh, next couple of games good to be back
1: Let's may may the good times continue
0: Yep. And then we get straight into the January transfer window. So, oh, no. <laughs> you know what we'll be discussing post, uh, post, post-Everton post uh, for the majority of the time over the next 30 days at least as well. I'm
1: Sorry sure. in advance mm. to
0: everyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But it's worth noting, everybody listening about the transfer window, remember my spreadsheet that I posted at the end of the summer transfer rumors had something like a 1.4% hit rate from even noted, like noted journals. Like it is almost everything you're going to read this January is bollocks. Almost every single one of them, regardless of how well regarded they are and how many blue ticks they have, or if they're paid for their tick, or if they've not paid for their tick, or if they've gone to a different social media outlet, it's all shit. Almost every single one is crap. So don't get too excited. Don't get too sad when you see the rumours because they're almost always wrong. Fair. I agree. Yep. All right, fellas. Have a wonderful new year uh, and we will speak again soon. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers, all.